Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds and today my guest is Dr. Ron Sider. Uh, Ron is the founder and chair of Evangelicals for Social Action. He's the author of several books on the intersection of faith and social justice. So Dr. Sider, welcome to the program. Thanks, Josh. Great to be with you. Now, I want to be clear for my listeners just from the outset today that the conversation that we're about to have is, is a little different than many of the podcast episodes that you're used to on this show. Uh, when we go through a, a fictional book, we really like to talk about the plot and the characters and the themes. And nonfiction, we go through the content of the book. Uh, and we've talked about a lot of different topics on this podcast. And we've, we've n- never really, I think, been at quite a such a controversial topic. So we're going to be talking about politics. We are going to be talking about Donald Trump. If that's not your thing, that's fine. Um, you can just move on to the next episode. But I, I really encourage you. I think this is going to be a great conversation. Um, so I, I really encourage you to listen in with an open mind and an open heart uh, to to what we're about to talk about. So Dr. Sider, you were the editor and major contributor to a book that's called The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump. Um, that Right there, that already, that's a pretty provocative title. So can you tell me a little bit about how this project came together? Yeah, I, I was not involved initially. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Chris Thurman, who writes two chapters, um, is an um, evangelical family therapist in Texas, and he felt um, in late 2019 the need for such a book, and uh, um, I got involved and eventually uh, ended up um, as the only editor, helped find the publisher, um, and so on. But, you know, Josh, the starting point for me, and I say this um, in uh, my initial foreword, uh, is that, uh, you know, I'm committed to Jesus Christ uh, and uh, the scriptures, uh, and I want Christ to be Lord of all of my politics, uh, all of my life, including my politics. I um, want my uh, oneness in the body of Christ with all other Christians to be more important than political differences. Uh, but I hope and pray that um, we can think and uh, talk with each other, uh, eventually uh, really even listen to each other across major political differences. So that's my uh, uh, basic goal, along with, um, you know, the big question, um, uh, you know, this book doesn't um, um, take a political stand. It talks about uh, Donald Trump uh, and his stand on political issues, but it uh, doesn't tell people how to vote. Uh, But uh, obviously, um, that's in the minds of everybody. It's in the minds of evangelical Christians. 81% of white evangelicals voted for him in the 2016, and uh, looks like um, um, almost that many will do it again. Mm-hmm. What were your feelings going into the 2016 election? Um, I guess even if in the late 2015, when Trump started to campaign, did, did you feel like, you know, I, I, I think for me, it was the sense of like, oh, this will be interesting. And then it was sort of just like, oh, oh. I you know, like like no one no one expected this. So what especially with the back backing of evangelical Christians, white evangelical Christians, what you know, at, at what point did was there a point that you felt like why are we doing this? 
You know, initially, um, uh, I assumed, along with many, many people, that uh, someone who was thrice married, uh, boasted publicly of sexual affairs uh, when he was married, you know, uh, on and on, uh, and had no experience uh, in politics. You know, being president of the United States is an enormously important uh, position. Um, it affects the lives of billions of people around the world. And so I just assumed that uh, there was no way that um, the Republican Party would uh, uh, nominate him. Um, I thought, um, uh, you know, maybe um, uh, the um, Bush son uh, would make it. Um, you know, there were a number of, um, of good candidates. Over the years, I've voted both Democratic uh, and Republican. I voted for George W. Bush twice. Um, and I try to evaluate them on the basis of what I call a biblically balanced agenda. Um, but um, uh, I was just astounded that uh, Trump, who didn't fit that hardly at all, um, you know, eventually got the nomination. Mm -hmm. Why, just, I guess, why do you think that evangelicals, white evangelicals uh, in particular, just really gravitated toward Trump? You know, a lot of people are, are talking about that, uh, there are books on it. Uh, um, I um, I have not studied that in uh, you know great detail. My my sense is that there were a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I think that uh, for some, um, the issue of abortion, um, um, if you'll pardon the phrase, trumps every other issue. Um, and uh, he said he would be, uh, you know, conservative on abortion and appoint um, uh, a people to the Supreme Court uh, that would overturn it. Um, and, uh, you know, he's followed through on that. I, I think that's one issue. Um, I think that uh, another issue is that uh, there are a large number of um, white evangelicals who are lower middle class, uh, working class people, um, and the economy has not been fair to them um, in the last uh, 20 or 30 years. You know, their income has not really um, gone up hardly at all uh, over a 30-year period. Uh, most of the growth in, in income in the country has gone to the richest 20%. In fact, um, more recently, over 90% has gone to the richest 1%. Uh, I don't understand why uh, those people thought that a billionaire would be someone who really would help them financially, but somehow uh, they did. Uh, I think the issue of um, religious freedom was also at issue. Um, you know, can faith-based organizations uh, continue to hire on the basis of their beliefs. Um, I, I think, uh, I hate to say this, but I, I think, uh, in fact, there have been studies that clearly show this, that uh, racism was one significant part. I mean, there's no question but that uh, Donald Trump um, subtly and not so subtly appealed to white racists. Um, he didn't reject the support of uh, the former KKK and had, um, in a whole bunch of ways, uh, you know, made subtle uh, appeals to them. So it was it was all of those things uh, and and probably more than that, but those are 
different factors uh, that I understand. Uh, some of those reasons um, I understand. I'm I'm pro-life. Uh, I'm concerned with religious liberty. Um, but uh, the, the racism, I think, is just uh, tragic. And there have been studies that uh, have showed that uh, even more important than economic issues was the fact that um, white people were fearing that they were going to lose their uh, majority in the society. Mm. I think there was a big sense of a loss of power. And I think white evangelicals um, in particular had a perception that there was a loss of power during the Obama administration. And there was a desperate need to try to reclaim that power. And I think virtually any any Republican nominee probably would have given given them back or had the perception of giving them back um, that power. And um, what what has interested me is is and this is an argument that is made in one of the chapters of the book. Um, is that we we kind of went on the white evangelicals at the time kind of took a lesser of two evils argument uh, in that, well, Trump is kind of an unknown quantity when it comes to politics, uh, but he's saying the right things and he's sort of surrounding himself with people that are more of a known quantity that m are more likely to, he's more likely to put the people into power that we would agree with. Uh, whereas Hillary Clinton is a very known quantity, uh, has had been involved in, in several different levels of government for many, many, many years. And there was a knowledge of exactly where she stood on many issues that, that evangelical Christians um, did not. And so, you know, when I, I remember in, in 2016, sort of the aftermath of that, of really, really listening to my white evangelical friends who had voted for Trump, and that was their, that was the primary argument that I kind of got from them, was well, I waited, I you know, uh, between the two, and, and some of the arguments were very nuanced, very well thought out, and you know I had to say you know you, I you you put thought into this. Um, and I think the expectation then sort of has to be now, will you push back against him once he is in office and if he does things that you find you do not agree with? And instead, what we have seen is virtually no pushback whatsoever. Uh, do you feel like do you feel like evangelicals have shifted some of their policy positions to align with Trump, or is this really what a majority of white evangelicals have always believed on issues like immigration, capitalism, and so on? Yeah, well, each of those issues are, are, are distinct. Um, you know, I do a regular blog, and I, I did a recent blog on, is Joe Biden a socialist? Uh, you know, I'm in favor of a market economy where the bulk of the means of production are privately owned and supply and demand are the large, uh, largest determinant of wages and prices. Uh, you know, that simply works better than a communist system. Uh, and, um, but uh, some people use the word 
socialists, libertarians, for example, to uh, talk about almost any <clears throat> government um, intervention in the economy. Um, if that's what you mean by socialist, then Donald Trump's a socialist. Uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell's a socialist. I mean, they're 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 in favor of uh, Social Security and Medicare and a whole bunch of government programs that um, uh, intervene, if you will, uh, in the economy. So what we have to talk about is, you know, is this specific uh, uh, government intervention uh, uh, wise um, or not? Um, uh, so one has to be uh, more precise um, uh, on any number of issues. But, you know, uh, now in, in 2020, we, we know that what uh, Donald Trump has done. Um, uh, one of the most tragic things is, uh, you know, with uh, the murder of um, uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis, and that reminds us of many, many other murders uh, by white policemen of African-Americans. Um, we're, we're getting a massive outpouring. Large numbers of white um, Americans are joining to say, uh, you know, racism is wrong and we have to stand against that. And our presidents normally, you know, lead the nation in uniting us. And what Donald Trump has done uh, has continued to appeal to racism and continued to divide the nation. I mean, that's a tragic failure on a terribly important issue. Uh, I think white evangelicals are, are facing what I call our hour of decision with regard to um, racism because, you know, we were a part of, um, white evangelicals were a part of um, defending slavery. Uh, and then they were a part of the people who did thousands of lynchings in the next hundred years after the ending uh, of slavery. Uh, and um, when Dr. Martin Luther King marched and uh, uh, changed American society, uh, white evangelicals largely opposed him uh, and certainly weren't uh, there. So white evangelicals really face a, a crucial hour of decision. And I think one of the big issues in this election is, uh, will we say no to that kind of racism or will we continue to uh, uh, silently or, or even less than silently um, Affirm it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I appreciated about this book is that it does go beyond just an exploration of the morality of Donald Trump. And it, it really talks about evangelicalism as a whole and how, how the entire system has sort of shifted to a place where it could be comfortable supporting him and his policies. Um, there was a great chapter, uh, I think chapter 10, written by uh, Randall Balmer on Donald Trump and the death of evangelicalism. Um, I, I know you didn't write the chapter, but you did edit the book. What can you tell me about the history of, of evangelicalism, maybe even just in your lifetime, on how it has shifted from kind of where the movement started? Yeah, well, if you go back to the 19th century, uh, or even the 18th century, uh, Wesley and the Evangelical Revival in England, you know, um, the uh, opposition to slavery uh, came out of that. In the 19th century, the uh, abolitionists um, were, um, to a very major extent, um, evangelicals. Um, and uh, uh, there was a strong um, social conscience, um, the emergence of uh, the, the first... Um, 
college uh, in the country to uh, have both African Americans and women as um, students was Oberlin College in the 1830s and 40s and 50s, and it was a thoroughly evangelical uh, uh, college. So there's 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 that uh, heritage, um, you know. Um, I, I think that uh, one of the most important ways to think about the situation is to notice that um, I think um, by the year 2000 uh, into the uh, this uh, century, there was an evangelical center that had embraced a much broader uh, political agenda, the National Association of Evangelicals. And I talk about this uh, in my chapter, uh, uh, the title of which is Will White uh, evangelical leaders continue to remain silent in 2020. But the National Association of Evangelicals has a public policy document officially uh, uh, unanimously adopted. And it says, and I quote, faithful evangelical civic engagement must have a biblically balanced agenda. And the document goes on then to talk about eight different areas. Um, and one is uh, the sanctity of human life. Uh, another is uh, marriage and family. Uh, the longest, I think, is on economic justice, especially concerned for the poor. There's uh, one on racism. There's one on uh, religious and political freedom. There's one on peacemaking. There's one on uh, um, uh, God's care for creation. Uh, and the National Association of Evangelicals is saying that faithful evangelical civic engagement must have that biblically balanced agenda, not a one-issue or two-issue approach, but a concern with all of those issues. And I think if you look at what Donald Trump has done um, on that range of issues, you have to say, this just doesn't fit with what the largest evangelical association in the country says is uh, biblical demand. Mm -hmm. You you bring up the issue of abortion, and and that's brought up any time any any political race. I feel like, regardless of its of its president or city council, um, this issue comes up. It is such an important issue. The pro life issue is such an important issue to um, evangelicals. So much so that we seem very willing to to give up a lot or to compromise a lot on other issues in order to ensure that this issue, um, that the pro-life issue is upheld. And I, I get that because I am, I, you know, I'm pro-life as well. And what would you say to those people who are just, who are just like, this is their issue. They, they don't see any way around it. They have to vote for the pro-life candidate. Yeah, well, uh, I'm pro-life too. <laughs> I did a book called Completely Pro-Life uh, way back in, uh, I think it was 1987. Uh, and um, just very recently, I've, I've criticized uh, the uh, Democrats for the, their position on this issue. So I care about that. But I just uh, did a blog a couple days ago called Does Abortion Trump Everything Else? Uh, and my answer is no, and I, I say that because uh, using the National Association of Evangelicals uh, document, that we must have a biblically balanced agenda, I point out that uh, abortion is not the only 
pro-life issue. You know, millions of people die of starvation every year. Tobacco kills uh, millions of people. Uh, if we don't deal with climate change, there are going to be millions and millions of people, the poorest people, who are going to die of terrible storms and deserts expanding uh, and so on. So there's uh, a whole variety of genuinely pro-life issues um, includes abortion, but that's not the only one. The other comment is, I think it's interesting to ask what would happen if Donald Trump were reelected, if he named a couple more Supreme Court um, positions, and if the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. You know what would happen? Abortion would still be legal in most of the United States because Gallup polls have been polling for decades. Uh, and it's, there's a consistent pattern. Uh, currently, uh, there are 29% um, of Americans who want abortion to be legal under every circumstance, 20% who want it to be illegal under every circumstance, and 50% want it to be legal but with some restrictions. Now, that points to me to say, hey, the Democrats ought to be sensitive to that. Uh, uh, 70, um, um, 70% of the American people uh, want abortion to have some restrictions. But it's also true that 79% uh, want abortion to be legal. So uh, most of the states would uh, continue to have legal abortion. There would probably be some restrictions, but it would not be a lot different from uh, what we have at present. So in a very real sense, abortion isn't really in play in this election year because either way it goes, uh, it's not going to change in a huge way. I think the, the economic issue is probably the second thing that I hear a lot about um, with people who uh, are Trump supporters is that, well, look at how the economy has done uh, over the past few years, up until the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, the economy was going great. It seemed like small businesses were doing better. How much, um, I, 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 I just said, I personally felt like we're, you know, we're giving up. What are we giving up? Whenever, whenever we see the, that the economy is doing great, wonderful. We want the economy to do great, but what are we giving up to obtain that economy? Is a question that I think that a lot of people aren't asking. So, can you can you speak to to Donald Trump's economic policies uh, at all, and how you feel they mesh with a biblical economic policy? Yeah, well, well, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you know, we all remember the uh, the Great Recession of um, mm -hmm. uh, 2007, 2008, uh, and the, con the economy went down dramatically. Uh, and for the next, um, well, all through the Obama um, years, the economy was recovering uh, and growing uh, substantially. Um, and uh, as Trump became president, that pattern continued. Um, um, I think there were years under Obama when it grew more than it has grown under Trump. Uh, but uh, to, to say that the recovery of the economy was uh, due to Donald Trump uh, is, is simply economically um, inaccurate. Uh, that's one comment. Uh, the, the second comment is that 
one of the most important biblical demands is that God is concerned about the poor and demands justice. And in a whole bunch of ways, uh, Donald Trump has taken actions or tried to take actions that in fact hurt poor people. He has repeatedly uh, tried to cut uh, American foreign aid that saves millions of lives around the world. Uh, he has tried to cut food stamps, uh, which uh, um, mean that millions of kids uh, are, are not in poverty. Um, he, um, uh, his tax cut uh, you know, that uh, happened in 2017 actually overwhelmingly went to the benefit of the richest 20%. It helped everybody a little bit, but mostly it helped the richest uh, people. Uh, and as I said a little while ago, you know, the growth in income in the U.S. now, almost 90% of it is going to the richest 1%. While the masses of people, and certainly the, um, the, the poorest 50%, are benefiting very little. Now they, they benefit a little bit uh, with um, uh, increased jobs uh, in the last uh, couple of years, but um, uh, overall, I think his economic decisions uh, are not helping poor people. He's tried to um, um, end the uh, act under President Obama that increased health coverage for 20 million Americans. Uh, and he's been trying to uh, end that without any proposals to um, make sure that everybody has health insurance. I, I think um, universal health insurance is a pro-life issue because careful studies show that uh, if you don't have health insurance, you don't go to a doctor, you, are, you get sicker and you die younger. Surely that's a pro-life issue. And every pro-life American... Uh, every pro-life evangelical ought to be saying health insurance for everybody is a biblical demand. Yeah, yeah. It. I think it's been interesting for me to see this play out over the course of the past four years. Uh, to see, for me, it was this issue of like cognitive dissonance almost. Uh, to see that like I don't hear people that I love and respect, uh, that are a part of my cohort, they're part of my in-group, I am a white evangelical, and all of a sudden, uh, they differ from me on on a very important issue, uh, you know, on a very, very strong issue. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of been in the background now for four years, and we're coming up on the 2020 election. And we find ourselves asking pretty much the same questions uh, again with uh, especially now that, that Joe Biden has uh, accepted the nomination for the uh, Democratic Party uh, Kamala Harris as his vice presidential candidate and you know Christians what the America now has a choice between presumably uh, Trump Pence and and Biden Harris and we're we're in a we're in an issue now where a lot of a lot of uh, white evangelical Christians are saying the same thing of of Biden that they said of of um, of Clinton even even those who have been critical of of Donald Trump is to say I I don't really know if I can vote for this person either 
Um, we understand the 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 danger of Donald Trump. Uh, we understand the opposition um, to Christian witness. I feel that that he is brought uh, into the evangelical community, and but it's also difficult to reconcile when the opposition is someone who we also don't agree with. How do we even begin to do that reconciling work as we come up on the 2020 election? I think um, in our kind of um, political system, um, one's vote is always difficult. <laughs> At least it always is for me. If uh, you have the kind of completely pro-life agenda, uh, a biblically balanced agenda that the National Association of Evangelicals has, because uh, it's clear that um, uh, one candidate will be better on some issues, the other candidate better on other issues. Uh, and one has to look at the whole range of issues um, and decide um, on balance, um, you can put it negatively, which person will do less damage or, or positive which person will do um, uh, somewhat more good. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I don't think for a moment uh, that uh, uh, everything that um, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, um, you know, um, say they're in favor of is something that I want. Uh, but I have to ask on balance, will they do more good than or less damage than Donald Trump. You know, and another whole area that uh, we haven't even talked about is the kind of America first, um, America, God's special Christian country. You know, that kind of um, excessive nationalism, one rightly is proud of one's country, but that kind of excessive nationalism is, is finally idolatry and it's finally contrary to the biblical teaching that God cares about everyone, uh, every person, everywhere in the world, and and wants them to flourish, and and just take, uh, you know, what Donald Trump has done in international affairs. Um, there's no question, but that there is dictatorship in totalitarian countries around the world. Uh, Russia's one. Um, China is increasingly um, powerful uh, and uh, totalitarian. There's no, no question about that. And the way that you have to uh, uh, resist that is to unite uh, the, the free democratic countries of the world. Uh, and uh, the European Union has, uh, for 75 years after World War II, has preserved peace in Europe. Uh, and Donald Trump opposes this European Union. Uh, he's questioned NATO, which has kept the peace. Uh, he's um, imposed uh, uh, big uh, um, tariffs uh, on Canada. Uh, saying they're exporting aluminum to us is a national security threat. Uh, I mean, he, he, the American president ought to be uniting uh, democratic Europe, democratic Canada, democratic Australia and South Korea uh, and Japan, not saying uh, America's first and I don't care about you. Uh, uh, that's just uh, politically um, uh, and geopolitically wrong and 
and devastating. That's just one of, of many, many, uh, I think, fundamental uh, mistakes that uh, he's made. Yeah. Uh, did you kind of talk about the book as a whole? Uh, you know, I guess right from the right from the outset, when you became in, involved in it, um, this was meant to. This was a, a collection of essays. So there are, I think, 30, 30 people who have contributed to this book. You know, were you involved in the process of? Um, like finding these authors, how did you, how how did we choose who wrote what section and what their expertise behind writing that particular section was? Yeah, well, actually, um, a lot of that happened before I got involved. Um, the call had gone out by Bandy Lee uh, and uh, and Chris Thurman uh, for uh, people to propose um, uh, chapters uh, for this proposed book. And uh, I saw that uh, initially thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I just felt led to do it. Uh, and I got involved and um, got involved. Uh, they asked me to be a co-editor, eventually the only editor. Uh, but a lot of the uh, the people had already um, agreed to write a chapter before I got involved. Now, I did uh, um, uh, reach out and, uh, and find um, some new people uh, that... Um, joined uh, Pete Weiner, for example, uh, uh, and uh, Mark Galley's essays, um, uh, at least those two. And then I was the editor. Um, uh, I edited carefully all the chapters, but um, I didn't I didn't pick the uh, uh, most of the people um, who uh, were authors are authors in the book. I think it was a very good job was done in in getting a variety of perspectives within evangelicalism um people from different particular uh, circumstances different professions uh, and it, it really shows me I, f- for me this book was both very disheartening um to read through and to be like yeah yeah that's right oh okay but it was also very encouraging because I, I felt like I had solidarity with people who are also of my cohort um, because I haven't felt a whole lot of I haven't felt a whole lot of support with white evangelicals these past four years and you know these are the people who gave me my ordination these are the people who have given me my profession and my my professional career and and yet there's been such a disconnect um, in what initially seems like it's not not directly connected to to church, the life of the church or theology, but political issues are always inevitably connected to to theology. So for me, this was a sense of of really solidarity. So as you're reading through these, as you're editing everything, um, did you feel like yeah, you know, I, I can't imagine. I just reading through it, all of these conflicting feelings that I'm feeling. Uh, what was it like for you to edit this this book and to go through these arguments time and time again? Yeah, well, it was great. And uh, one of the most important things to say is that uh, the um, the authors um, uh, come from a variety of backgrounds. Um, a, a number uh, are Republicans. Um, uh, Nat Nasworth, for example, was um, 
the political editor of the conservative magazine, the Christian Post. Uh, and he says, I've never voted uh, for uh, a Democrat, uh, but um, he felt compelled to uh, to say, uh, you know, some pretty strong things uh, about uh, Donald Trump or Vicki Courtney, you know, a, a very prominent uh, white evangelical woman uh, from the South who was uh, uh, famous at uh, speaking at women's conferences and several bestseller books. Um, and and she writes just a, a powerful essay about the uh, the persistent uh, sexism and um, detrimental statements that uh, Donald Trump says about women. And she says that's just contrary to what the Bible says. Uh, and if we don't speak up against that, you know, uh, then uh, we're uh, not being faithful to biblical understanding of the dignity of women uh, and uh, we're um, disgracing um, uh, Christian faith. You know, one of the tragedies is that a lot of um, evangelical young people who grew up in evangelical churches uh, are turning away in disgust, um, certainly leaving evangelical churches, but some of them even leaving uh, Christian faith because of what they see as um, uh, massive white evangelical support for um, a man who his personal life, you know, is just anything but biblical, and his policies, uh, uh, they believe, are uh, fundamentally contrary to what the National Association of Evangelicals says is a biblically balanced agenda. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you get this but book just, together. Just one, Go ahead. Let me just give you one more. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Jeff. Uh, example. Uh, I mean, Pete Weiner. Uh, he mm-hmm. was um, is one of the authors, uh, and he writes especially about his concern to what uh, support for Trump is doing for the good name of um, evangelicalism mm-hmm. uh, and for broadly Christianity. But Pete Weiner uh, was uh, an important, um, had important uh, positions in three Republican administrations, starting with Ronald Reagan and then both Bushes. You know, he's a Republican, uh, uh, but um, uh, says that, um, you know, I just can't support what Donald Trump is doing, either his personal uh, life um, or his constant lying um, or the just the uh, the demeanor that he, he projects, that's just not uh, what I can support, much less his policies. Mm-hmm. So do you think then, and, and this is a difficult question to answer, not that any of the questions here have been easy, um, has, has evangelicalism lost? It came, can we come back from this? Have we given up our prophetic voice? Uh, only God knows. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that the the damage has been massive. Um, I, you know, I'm still um, glad to call myself an evangelical. Uh, I believe in historic Christianity, the Trinity, and the deity of Christ, and the bodily resurrection, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's central to uh, who I am, um, and um, uh, I, I, I'm going to continue to uh, understand that that's and say that's who I am. But um, just large numbers of younger people say that word evangelical doesn't mean what you just said, Ron. Uh, yeah. it, it means uh, right wing politics. Uh, it means um, uh, pro-Trump politics uh, with um, its package of, uh, of racism and lack of concern for uh, uh, creation care uh, 
and uh, lack of concern for the poor and, and so on. And uh, that's um, not who I am. So um, I think the damage is um, is not just temporary. I think it'll uh, it'll last for um, a generation. Um, a number of people um, are deciding that uh, they needed to have a different word to describe uh, who they are. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, I'm still an evangelical. I'm still completely pro-life, uh, but uh, it's a very, very difficult time. Mm-hmm. What? What? When you titled the book "The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump," you you know that's going to incite controversy. Were, were you ever afraid that coming on so strong, you would lose any goodwill with anybody who was on the fence on this issue? You know, uh, titling a book is always uh, a complex uh, issue, uh, and uh, um, there was certainly a discussion about that. Um, uh, I think that it's the case that this title um, has gotten attention to the issue. Um, if you bring out a book uh, and nobody knows this, you know, then that's not very interesting. Um, the other uh, uh reason for a title of that sort is that um, uh, Bandy Lee, um, a mm-hmm. committed Christian Yale psychiatrist and professor at Yale University, um, she did a book, edited a book in 2017 that became a New York Times bestseller that talked about the psychiatric danger of Donald Trump. And mm-hmm. a whole bunch of prominent psychiatrists basically said, you know, um, this man has um, a psychological illness, and, and that's dangerous. Um, and what Chris Thurman said in late 2019 when he contacted Bandy Lee to get the book started was, we need a book that focuses on the spiritual problems uh, of Donald Trump, the unbiblical policies that he's talking about. So that's actually how the book <laughs> got started. Uh, and I got in... Uh, Later on, so and I, I think um, on balance, um, it was probably an appropriate title. Um, yeah, it. Do you think it'll move the needle at all? Because I have these conversations with friends and family, you know, people that I absolutely adore and love and trust, and we we are deeply divided on on this. Uh, I guess I guess it's after you know after four years of having these conversations, I'm I'm kind of pessimistic that any argument is going to suffice. You know what? It, so like, ideally, I know your hope for the book would be like, oh yeah, we we throw it out there, people read it, and they're convinced. I, we both know it's not going to be that easy. So like, just what what do you hope the book does? Yeah, you know they're obviously. Um... Uh, people who will um, uh, not be moved at all. Uh, and there are <clears throat> pro-Trump evangelicals that, that say some pretty awful things about people like myself. You know, uh, um, Reverend Jeffries, the, the pastor of uh, First Baptist in Dallas, uh, you know, that, that's a wonderful historic church that uh, has done and does do uh, great things. But he has said that the only evangelicals um, who will vote for Joe Biden 
our people have, quote, sold their souls to the devil. Now, that's just not the kind of thing uh, I think Christians should be saying about each other. Um, I'm not going to say that kind of thing about River Jeffries or, or the evangelicals who support Donald Trump. I want to plead with him to say, does what Donald Trump do and what his character is, does that fit with biblical values? Um, and plead with them to, um, I pray uh, most days um, in my devotions, I pray for Donald Trump. Uh, I pray that he will become the person God wants him to be, that uh, he'll support the policies God wants him to be. And then I pray by name for a bunch of the most prominent evangelical supporters of Donald Trump. And my prayer is that they'll look into the face of the Lord and say, Lord, uh, talk to me and show me um, your will on this election. Now, it's interesting that uh, there's been uh, a couple uh, more recent polls that indicate that there's been some slippage in uh, uh, support for Donald Trump. Uh, PRRI uh, indicated that um, in March... Uh, I think that um, the um, um, I'm reaching for the right word, it was uh, something like uh, the approval or something of that sort for Donald Trump was 77%. Um, in May, it was um, uh, 62%. That's a major drop. Um, a, a Pew um, polling found, I think, a, a 6% drop in uh, evangelical um, support for what Donald Trump was doing. Um, and that was, I, I believe, an end of, um, of um, some end of June, um, early July kind of polling. So there's some indication that there's some slippage, uh, but um, certainly um, a um, large part of the white evangelical community um, still supports him. It's crucial to say white evangelical. You know, the, right. the newspapers often often just say evangelical. Um, uh, the black church is overwhelmingly evangelical theologically uh, and in terms of its piety. Uh, uh, and they certainly don't um, didn't vote for Donald Trump. Um, the um, Asian American church is overwhelmingly evangelical. Uh, and so is the Latino church. Uh, and they didn't vote 81% for Donald Trump. So it's crucial to say white evangelicals have massively supported him. Um, not evangelicals overall. Yeah, I think that we white evangelicals have a lot to learn from our uh, black and brown brothers and sisters in social justice issues because it. I, I feel like as a and I, and I think this might come down to the different to to the difference in policy is that we have the same theological beliefs. Uh, but white evangelical Christians have, by and large, uh, not needed or not felt the need to be engaged in the work of social justice, where uh, that is not the case for minority communities. Uh, do you see the issue of social justice as being at the heart of the, that, and, and I think reaction against social justice? Uh, being at the heart of white evangelical support for Trump. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's, it's crucial to go beyond the general term social justice and say, what does the Bible tell us that is the content of that? Uh, and, you know, one of the, 
I think it's probably the second most dominant um, theme in the Bible, uh, uh, is God's special concern for the poor. Mm-hmm. I once collected a couple of verses in a little book, and it's a couple hundred pages uh, of biblical text about the poor. You know, Rick Warren, the great uh, evangelical uh, uh, leader and writer, um, his book, what, sold 30-plus million copies? Um, and Rick Warren, uh, 20 or so years ago, discovered how many verses of the Bible are about God's concern for the poor, and he changed what his church was doing and got massively involved in trying to empower poor people. Um, So justice for the poor must be one major agenda. Uh, And uh, I think that in this particular election, given what's happened uh, after George Floyd's murder, um, the issue of racism um, is, is finally really central uh, and white evangelicals need to ask, are we ready to confess that we played a major role in slavery? We played a major role in the lynchings after slavery. We played uh, a major role in opposing uh, uh, Dr. King's you know, nonviolent peaceful movement to get things like the right to vote. Uh, and the right to be able to travel uh, uh, without uh, racial discrimination. Um, And now in COVID-19, it's clear that uh, probably twice as many uh, American, um, African-Americans are dying as white Americans in terms of, you know, their population ratios. Uh, So, you know, the effects of of racism uh, continue. Just a couple more examples, you know, the um, federal government um, for many decades continues, you know, uh, helps support home ownership. Um, but for many, many years, um, there was explicit racism in that. Uh, and African-Americans couldn't get those mortgages. That's one of the reasons that African-Americans today have only one twelfth the amount of wealth that the average white family does. The average white family has 12 times as much wealth as the average black family. Um, And to this day, uh, large numbers of African Americans go to inner city schools that we all know are much poorer than the white suburban schools. And white people have fled the city and gone to the suburbs and made sure that their kids get quality education. So there are there are structural things um, that uh, continue to hurt African Americans. So racism is a crucial issue in this election. Uh, And it's not the only issue, but it's certainly one important one. And how white evangelicals uh, vote in light of that crucial issue is certainly going to be important. Yeah. Um, I'll make this the final final question for you, and then we'll end. And it's just where do we where do we go from here? Uh, on November third, uh, we are going to elect a president, and if that president is Donald Trump, then white evangelicals have a lot of work to do to reclaim their witness and reclaim their historic policy positions that are biblically based. And if Joe Biden becomes president then Christians have a lot of work to do to reclaim their witness and to uh, 
regain their historical biblical positions on certain issues. Um, so there, there's much work to be done regardless of the outcome of the election. Where do we even begin with that? I wish that we could begin after the election by all evangelicals saying, we're finite, we're limited, we really want to follow Jesus in the Bible, but we have done not done it nearly as wisely as we should. And let's now begin a conversation across the whole evangelical world, both people who voted for will vote for Biden and those who will vote for Trump. Uh, and let's ask ourselves, how can we get back where Jesus is the center, where biblical values determine what our political agenda is? You know, if if that could happen, that would be simply wonderful. Yeah. That's what I pray for. Um, you know, I assume that the people who disagree sharply with, with me and this book, uh, that they really love Jesus and, and want to follow him. Um, and if that's the case, then let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Sider, I want to thank you for taking your time to come on the program today and talk about your book. Um, the book is The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump, 30 Evangelical Christians on Justice, Truth, and Moral Integrity. Uh, the publisher is Cascade Books, which is an imprint of Whiff and Stock. Uh, you can buy this on Amazon. Go to your local independent bookstore and request this book. And whether you feel like you're going to agree with it or not, let, let's like like Ron said, let's talk. Uh, let's let's have a substantive conversation about the issues so that we can so so that our witness is not damaged to the world. Because I have seen I, I have seen the degradation of the Christian witness, whether we feel like that is warranted or not. Um, you cannot deny that the Christian witness, especially white evangelical Christian witness, has been degraded in the course of the past four years, and honestly, you know, decades prior to that as well. And, but let's let's regain that. Let's let's have some actual conversation and try to move this nation forward. So, Dr. Sider, again, thank you for your time. Great to talk, Josh. Blessings.